And we're back from the blue corner. My name is Dennis, and today I am joined by the founder of Legacy, BJJ. He's a third-degree black belt, and he goes by the name of Tiago Braga. How has the first half of 2020 been treating you? Hi, Dennis. Uh, first, thanks for you know having me here on your podcast. And yeah, 2020 has been a pretty crazy year. Um, so many things that we have never expected to leave before. But, you know, thank God we're getting through and, you know, we're still here, we're still uh, on our feet and looking forward to, you know, like what will happen towards the, the end of this year. Now, you've obviously faced, you know, kind of conditions before and what, what I mean by that is, um, you know, we, we went through this period now where the, the academy had to be shut down for a little while, um, you know, which, which was unexpected. Um, but you know, you you've had things before with your your academy burning down in the past and stuff like that. But like, how hard was it this time around to to close the doors and 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 push through? Well, this this time actually, it was very unexpected. So it's something that didn't you know it didn't happen all in one go. We had all this. COVID-19 situation and I remember I was up in Byron Bay on the way to the Gold Coast um, to, to, to train a legacy Gold Coast when we started hearing about a possible lockdown and the cases going up and nobody knew exactly what to do so I think we we had a good contingency plan like we made it we made them a good plan to closing our gyms initially for two weeks as was proposed we we decided to close before actually the government you know told everyone to close um we felt was the right thing uh but in doing that i think my, my because of my experience from the past i closed the gyms for two weeks but i made a plan to be closed for a year if i needed to so i think that uh, made us a little bit more relaxed in in terms of you know like when one man when one one month went past two months we were like all right six months is bad a year we can leave we can survive maybe but thank god we were back in three months and is, is it a thing that um you know you you only control the sydney-based legacies or when you made that call was that an, a, a national uh call to close all legacy gyms it, it was a national call, but the way I try to work, Dennis, you know, um, I don't like to to make it as my call, for example. Um, what I try to do is to have a meeting with all the legacy head instructors and owners so we could together decide what was best. You know, I a few of us didn't want to close. A few of us were not very sure what to do. A few of us were worried about, you know, how we would, survive financially if we close all gyms and i i'm really grateful and thankful actually that you know they the other head instructors and owners put their trust on my idea of what we were planning to do uh, in closing and how we do, dealt with the memberships and everything and but we did it together it was it was a was a decision of all all participants you know all, all, all our team i believe in team decision like board decision um, I think once you just pull much towards the dictatorship, you know, you tend to make more mistakes, I think. 
And how did you spend those three months? Like, did you did you spend it on on uh, like business modules, or did you um, spend it just on your own kind of I, I guess uh, reset button and mental health? Because um, I know you probably would have wanted to spend a lot of that time on the beach since you had the time off. But then you know they started closing all the beaches too, yeah. so that 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 was out of the equation. So how did you spend those three months? Look, um, uh, I'm lucky. I live in the northern beaches, and during the whole time, you know, uh, over the northern beaches, still, it still was quite relaxed. You know, we had a lockdown; we couldn't go to the beach for a period of time. But I think I had, I went up and down. I had times where I tried to be motivated, you know, and keep doing my own training and stay on top of it. Um, I was doing some of the online no contact classes on uh, with with the students of first on Instagram then on Zoom. That helped me more than helped them maybe because you know that was something for me to look forward to get up go there film the classes and you know be in contact with with the students because what people don't realize is that uh, sometimes I'm I'm in the gym all my all days of the week morning lunch dinner. Uh, that's pretty much the people that I spend all my time with. They are my friends, my students, you know. So it was a little bit tough in the beginning. I tried to spend a bit of a bit of time focusing on the business model for for the gyms as well and other business ideas that I had. Um, I feel that even even the accounting, like the, the 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 bookkeeping and finances, I started like you know learning more and doing a few courses and you know and trying to be. Uh, more self-sufficient in terms of my my financial ideas for for the gyms and for myself i think that's something that i have a bit of a passion as well like the the business side of things that has been growing on me for the last few years you know uh, as well as the you know on top of the jiu-jitsu side but answering your question i think was it was tough at times but i could i couldn't make it through i could you know like i um I could, at times, you know, go to the beach when when it was allowed. I could do my own training. I could do the Zoom classes. So I was trying to keep myself busy. Some days I would sleep, you know, a bit more than normal. But in in general, I was I was feeling feeling okay. And is there such a thing like I always have to ask with coaches that, as you say, you spend a lot of time on the mats. You know, you're, you're there most mornings. You're there most evenings. So when something like this happens. Do you feel lost at all? Like, do you lose some of your identity when, when, when you know, like that is, I guess, and we'll get into the whole lifestyle side of things, but when that is what you do, um, you know, it, it, was there moments that you, you felt kind of lost? Y- yes and no. I, I understand, like, what you're saying, and I think um, I don't see my identity as just being on the mats, in, you know, as, as the instructor of, of the classes. I think that's, that's, that's what I do most, most of my days. But having the time, um, you know, I did things that I never did for I don't know how long during the week, you know, to go, for example, watch the sunset or sunrise. I'm on the mats on those days. So in the beginning, I did a lot of that. I will get up early, go watch sunrise. Then I will go sit somewhere and watch the sunset. Um, I was enjoying my body that was healing from all the injuries that I have for, you know, being on the mats and training every day, all day. So, uh, but yeah, a, a bit of my identity gets lost, not because of not teaching, 
but being away from jiu-jitsu being away from my training i think uh jiu-jitsu it's a it's a mirror of how i feel so how when i get on the mats and i'm training i feel i can really easy judge how i am feeling on my life at that moment and ha not having that mirror that did make me feel a bit lost and one of the other things you did which which i laughed about uh earlier before we jumped on the podcast was yeah. uh you you thought it was a good time to uh use the open streets for a bit of uh race car driving <laughs> um so uh you you obviously got a few speeding fines along the way which admittingly can be pretty easy because all of a sudden there were no cars on the road right like it was just like well it's an open road and i i guess you you don't even realize sometimes that you're going that you know Five yeah or five, five or 10k over um but yeah so uh have you still got your license uh well i had um look i always had problems with you know uh speeding <laughs> you know like nothing I, I don't i don't have a fast car i don't um uh, drive you know at crazy speeds but i feel the speed limits here in australia are very very not reasonable they are very low. <laughs> but what happened uh, during the pandemic, there were days that I was going to film the Zoom classes in the city and I haven't been out of the house for a few days. And as you said, the streets were empty. I got caught on the way to, to the city. Honestly, there was not one car. There was not one car anywhere near me. Just a police car that stopped me. Uh, I was a few Ks, you know, over the limit. I think it happened twice in a week, you know twice in two weeks because that's the, the times i was going to the city and i didn't even have an excuse i just had to be like yeah um you know there's no cars and i didn't notice i was a little bit fast but that has taken me a little bit over the limit and i'm i'm here crossing my fingers waiting at home hopefully they forget about me this time but i should be receiving a letter uh, any minute you know with them thinking about suspending my license maybe well, maybe because of the pandemic, it might get overlooked. We don't know. Hopefully, you know, like it's it's another COVID nineteen situation. You know that they they should uh, maybe consider keeping me with my license. So anyway, so we'll go back to I guess you know your kind of start as well. Um, uh, did you did you grow up um, in Australia or did you grow up in Brazil or how? I well I was born in Brazil and I lived in Brazil until I was 21 then I moved to Australia and be here and have been here ever since uh, but no I, I grew up you know to the beginning of my adult life in, in in Brazil but all my adult life has been here in Australia and at what point did you pick up BJJ was that something you started when you were over here or did you already start that back over there I, I started back home was it is actually interesting because you know since I was a, a kid I've always did lots of sports I used to play and compete in tennis football you know basketball I was always doing some sort of you know some sport but my parents actually especially my mom always made me stay I had to do one martial art so I started with judo when I was a three four year old then I moved to karate you know, watching all the Bruce Lee movies, you know, and practicing my karate. But um, when I was, I think, a young teenager, maybe 12, 13, I used to be one of those kids, the small kid in school that, you know, doesn't want to be bullied by the older kids. And that used to cost me sometimes a bit of a beating, you know. And, and um, 
when I was 15, I got introduced to jiu-jitsu. And for me, that was, you know, not just one more sport that I did. I think when I when I had my first experience, you know, on the mats and training and, and learning how to use leverage or when I felt that I could train with people that were physically stronger or bigger than me and be able to succeed, it felt more real. Like I used to watch all the karate movies and then feel like, wow, can I actually do that to people? Like if five people come at me, can I just punch and kick and knee everyone and they will be all on the ground, not moving in five seconds? When I experienced jiu-jitsu, I felt, okay, this is real. This is what actually happens. And from there on, I think I was 15, I never stopped. And on that uh, jiu-jitsu feeling real, like I'll, I'll cut straight to it. Like obviously jiu-jitsu now, you've got the, the, the gi and the no gi. Um, and, you know, like what, what are the differences between the two? Um, and I mean that as well, like is the gi more just a formality and like a tradition? Because when, when you talk about, you know, is this something that's practical and, and something I can do? Like it's not often that I walk down the street and I'm, you know, I see people in a gi ready to, you know, and, and so like when, when you're looking at the martial arts and that aspects, like, yeah, why, why, why do people still train, say, in a gi? Is it just a traditional based thing or is there a practicality to it as well? Um, well, my view is it, it's, you can, you, can, you can analyze this from many different angles. So for example, um, I, I compete on both. You know, and I pretty much, my, my whole life I did. I compete gi and no gi. I, I feel that, you know, in the gi, you have a lot more variety of techniques. You know, it, it's a lot more versatile than no gi. So um, it's, it's almost a different sport. But when you, what I feel is, imagine someone running, wearing a vest, a, a 20 kilos vest every day. The day you take the vest out, you probably run faster, you know. Uh, that's one aspect. So the gi prepares you physically more for the no gi. Um, someone that trains no gi, you are, the, the amount of techniques you will learn or you'll be able to practice is very limited if compared to the gi. So, so I feel that, for example, if you get the same person, you know, and this person trains for a whole year, like you get two of the same person. One person trains gi for a whole year. One trains no gi for a whole year. And at the end of the year, you get them competing in no gi. I believe the person that trained in the gi will win. So I feel um, even back in the day, if you go back to to MMA, um, a lot of the when I was still you know a young kid training in Brazil, I remember that I used to travel to Rio to to, to train for the bigger tournaments. And a few times I would train at Brazilian top team, which is now American top team. And we'll have guys like the Nogueira brothers, Ricardo Arona, you know, the old school uh, MMA fighters. And, and the Nogueira brothers, for example, used to train in the gi still during their MMA career two, three times a week, um, you know, like to, to sharpen up their, their jiu-jitsu. And the result was they were able to translate their, their jiu-jitsu, their half-guard game in pride, you know, perfectly like they could they were the few situations where we could see someone playing bottom half guard against fighters like mark coleman kevin randleman and not get punched not get knocked out i believe that was a good translation from the gi jiu-jitsu to 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 mma to to, to the no gi um yeah if I, I i guess where i'm asking with that is you know like when when you look at the original say ufc as well like you had gracie fighting in a gi you also had 
other fighters fighting with one boxing glove and stuff. So obviously there, there were a whole load of different ranges where now, you know, you can't wear shoes, say, in the cage. You you can't wear a gi in the cage even if you wanted to. Um, so, like, the only time I really see the gi being used, because as I say, like, you say you get into trouble on the streets, like, that person's not going to be wearing a gi, right? Like, so um, the only time I really see people using the gi now is if it's a, a BJJ competition or yeah. or are there other practical areas? Because, uh, I mean, I know you say it translates, but, like, for me it would be like, you know, with the gi you've got the lapel and it's very sturdy, it's firm and, and stuff like that. And I know you're saying it translates, but, like, for instance, if, you know, you got into some sort of trouble or or something like that and your your natural instinct is to, to grab that lapel and that lapel is no longer there... Um, Mm-hmm. You get what I'm saying? I understand, I understand. Well, the way I see that, for example, I'll give you first myself as an example. Uh, I trained I trained gi for the last 10 years every day. I train some days twice a day in the gi. I train no gi um, once, sometimes twice a week. And I usually take that as my off day, so I kind of train. You know, sometimes if I have a competition coming up, I train a little bit more seriously, but I will still train more seriously the gi. Uh, my record in no gi tournaments is better than the gi. You know, of course, I competed a lot more in the gi, therefore I lost more as well. But I lost very few times in no gi. You know, I feel so. That, that's where I'd say it translates. But now, if you using your previous example, like uh, beginning of UFC when you had uh, Rice Gracie fighting in the gi. He didn't fight in the gi, and I heard this from him himself uh, teaching a seminar at my gym. He didn't fight in the gi for tradition or for any reason like that. Uh, his explanation was, if someone is fighting me and I'm wearing a gi, a lot of the time they will grab my gi instead of punch me in the face, and that gives me the chance to, to attack them back. So if I don't have a gi, they're going to spend all that time punching. And there, uh, I wanted to say that, to take it to a real-life situation where you said, you know, on the street people will not be wearing a gi, but they will also not be naked most of the time. Hopefully, if you get in a fight with someone and they are naked, please run away. You know, it's not... <laughs> but but what, I, what, what I was saying is, and if you see in most cases in a street fight or in a real-life situation... Um, very few times happen like in the movies where the guys are having a clean Muay Thai combat and kicking and punching. It's one or two punches and someone will grab a shirt, grab a jacket, you know, or, or, or hold on to something. It's our nature to grab, you know. So if you have, even if you are arguing with someone and they come too close, you might grab the other person by the shirt. They might try to grab your jacket, grab your jumper, grab your hoodie. And that, when I feel it translates more to real life than the no-gi, you know, very... Even even with the rashies, because I mean the rashi I, I classify as a shirt, and and what I mean by that is like you know a shirt could potentially rip, a rashi could potentially rip. Like I don't see a gi ripping, like because it's so sturdy. Yeah, right? no. So when won't. when someone's pulling you, you know, like I I, I think once again, like because obviously no gi doesn't mean you're naked. No gi, yeah. you've got your rashi on, so you do yeah. have something. That you're not can- supposed to grab. It's illegal to when you practice okay. no gi. You're not supposed to hold on to the rashi. And actually, when I started training no gi and competing in no gi, 
you would wear just the uh, similar, same as UFC. You would actually, you wear just the, the MMA shorts, the little tights, you know, that's all you were allowed to wear. Uh, if you show up with a t-shirt or a rush guard or some sort of other shorts, you will be a strange person, a weird person on the mat. So in the beginning was, you know, no shirt and just small shorts. But yeah, look, there's different opinions to it. My, my view of it is that um, the grabbing does happen. Uh, and when training no gi, you eliminate that 100%. Even though the other person will be wearing a, a rash, you're, you're not supposed and you will not you will never practice holding that rash. Actually, if you do hold that rash in, a, in training or competition, the, the instructor or the referee will, will tell you to let go. You know, so you get conditioned to never grab anything and never get anything grabbed on you. So then there's two sides of the coin. You know what I mean? Too, uh, not grabbing at all or having something to 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 grab. I feel that the gi gives you gives you that view. So my my, my basic view, my overview of it is, it does translate. I feel that you know if you are a very good, even uh, look. MMA, I feel that in these days, uh, favor a lot the not the jujitsu fighters. Favor a lot, you know, the the strikers and wrestlers, because once you get to the ground, you're not allowed to strike anymore. Pretty much, you're not allowed to kick to the face, and a lot of things are illegal, you know. Um, so I I take as the most complete grappling tournament in the world ADCC, which pretty much. It favors doesn't favor the guard pullers, you know, and people that will sit their butt on the ground and try to play from there. But it favors the grappling. It favors the person that will take down and attack the whole time, and save a few, a few exceptions like Gordon Ryan in the last year or so, last couple of uh, events. Most of the other champions, I would say, ninety five percent are the champions in the gi that train no gi for that tournament and compete there. You know, I haven't seen many or any other uh, no-gi full-time competitors winning ADCC, which is a no-gi tournament. Uh, and, and obviously I ask you for the BJJ side of things, but, like, I mean, the gi isn't specifically for BJJ either. Like, whether you do judo, whether you do, you know, they, yeah, they you all wear the well. gi. And I, and I guess it's the same thing with judo. I always think, like, you know, you have all these tosses and stuff and it's like, but put it into the real world, would that work if you didn't have that? to grab onto you know so i that, that that that's kind of the only question i have with that but we'll go back to to you yep. um so when you started bjj who who did you train under i i started well i started in brazil training under uh, paulo guimarães which is here in australia as well he he's the head coach and founder of roots bjj so i started training with paulo when i was 15 um he gave me my blue belt um, then he moved to Australia in the year of 2000 and I stayed back training uh, the, at the La Riva Academy where I got my purple belt and I had to I moved and trained as well with um, Su Jiu Jitsu which was the, the the affiliate down south where I lived of Brazilian top team with Professor Zé Maris Perri Fernando Paradeda you know and in 2004 I moved to Australia and continued training with Paul where I got my brown belt and black belt so I pretty much trained with under Paul from white to black belt nice and then obviously was it in 98 you decided to found 
what we know now as legacy, right? No, 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 no. In that 98, I started training. I was 98, I was 15. Okay. <laughs> and I, I founded Legacy in 2012. Uh, that's when I started my, my, my own team. That's what I, I, I had this idea, you know, like I'm, um, of, to, to, to be honest, like I, I always had this idea of working, having a full-time job. I studied, you know, engineering and finance. And um, in, my, in, in my head growing up, I was going to be a black belt in jiu-jitsu. I wanted to be a black belt before I was 25. And I wanted to have to be successful and have my job in engineering or in finance or, you know, like on that area. And I would like to be teaching jiu-jitsu and training with my students at night, maybe in a small gym somewhere. It was never the plan to work full-time with jiu-jitsu until, until I was a few years black belt already. You know, before that, jiu-jitsu was just like something that I, I felt that I loved too much to work with it. You know, I was really scared that if I did as a as a full-time job that I would fall, fall out of love with jiu-jitsu and I would feel that it's just work and I don't want to do it anymore. So I resisted a lot to work with jiu-jitsu full-time for, for a very long time. And what was the kind of uh, reasoning of starting your own i guess academy rather than say what i mean and and i mean like you know you've got lucas up in queensland under the legacy brand and, and stuff like that so if you're saying you grew up through the root system yeah. um what was the decision making process between starting your own academy and potentially starting or opening another roots location if if that makes sense or was that option never kind of it, available it, it, at the it time it was no i did for a while actually um we had um i i had my first academy was was a roots academy under paulo guimarães i feel that um you know like Paulo has been for 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 me you know a lot more than the just a professor instructor you know like since uh, he knows me since I was uh, 15. So like I grew up under his guidance following, you know, to this day, the way I teach my classes, the way I, I think about jujitsu and a lot of things, the way I think about life, uh, I, I attribute to, to him, to his teachings, you know. But when we were gr growing up and when I decided to move and work full time with jujitsu, I realized that there was one thing missing, um, in my opinion. Um, we, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm lucky to come from a great lineage of black belts. So I'm a black belt under Paulo Guimarães, who is a black belt under Professor Jorge Pereira, who is a black belt under Hicks and Gracie. You know, so I'm the fourth generation uh, after Hicks and Gracie in, in that lineage. But one thing that I felt is, Jiu-Jitsu back in the day, there was one thing that we didn't have that we have now. The the idea of, you know, like if you think of your martial arts school from not 15, 20 years ago, you if you had a karate school or judo club, usually you have your daytime job. You are an accountant or a doctor or a lawyer. And in the evening, you are on the back of a council hall or the back of your house and you have a little area where you train your students, they have a little attendance card that they pay you per class or they pay you like a 10 pass, and that's it. It's not a business, you know? So people don't really live of it. And um, I felt that, you know, the, 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 
the way I was brought up in jiu-jitsu, I, I was never shown as, look, you can you can live off jujitsu. You can you can it can be your profession. You know, I never I never had that. So, um, Jorge Pereira is a black belt under Hicks and Gracie, but his academy was Jorge Pereira Club. It was never Hicks and Gracie, uh, Hicks and Gracie Academy. Um, Paulo Guimarães it's a black belt under Jorge under Jorge Pereira, but his his academy is Roots Jiu Jitsu. I felt that the and I saw other academies. You know, like. Um, Alliance in in Brazil, um, Gracie Barra all over the world, um, and, and 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 a few others that started having Atos Jiu Jitsu, you know, that started having this this idea, for example, of first taking your name out of it, you know, Legacy doesn't carry my name. I used to have the TBFT logo before the Thiago Braga fight team. I started having this this not only, and that's what I think Legacy means for me. It's um, the, an idea that I had of creating something that will live longer than me. It's something that I will pass on, and others will do it in the future. Um, for for so going back to that, you know, like I had um, the, with the idea that I had, I felt that you know the the business structure and the way uh, my professor Paulo was running Roots wouldn't have an opening. For 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 growth or for full time work, you know, I will have opening a, a roots academy, and we used to to debate and discuss that a lot. But that was his business model, and I had to respect and either follow or leave it, you know. In and that's when I decided to to leave and create legacy. It was a bit of uncertainty, you know, like what the idea that I have will really work, or is that the right idea? Uh, in these days, seeing the the results and the people I have working with me. You know, I I see as a positive thing. I feel you know that the, it does work, and and I think for the sport, for jujitsu as a, as a martial art, as a sport, we do become more professional. We we do become you know like a, also we had a lot of resistance to becoming a service provider. You know, jujitsu has 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 all that idea of um, loyalty. You have to be loyal to your professor, loyal to your team. You know, and that for me was a bit of a conflict sometimes with you have to pay a membership that sometimes is very expensive and you have to do all, all these things. So it, I feel that we are still providing a service, you know, like and we have to, to, to deliver that. And there is there is a standard that have to be met and becoming more professional on this. It allowed us to in these days have academies like like. Like like legacy, for example, where we employ several people working full time with jujitsu, we we have you know like a, a large number of members and, and 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 to take to this level to in these days to be able to go on sick.com and be able to see jujitsu uh, instructors you know like wanted and with a full time salary it's 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 amazing for me when I started working full time with jujitsu when I when I created legacy. Uh, people will ask, oh, what do you do? I still don't know when I get to the airport what to write when they ask your uh, occupation. You know, like, oh, I'm not a lawyer, I'm not a doctor, well, what am I, you know? So f I, I used to say, oh, I'm a jiu-jitsu instructor. Okay, but what, what do you do? I was like, no, I, I teach jiu-jitsu, that's, that's what I do. Oh, but you don't have a job. I said, well, it is my job, it's, <laughs> it is what I do. And so for me, it was a big fight, not only to, to grow my business and grow the academies, but to get uh, the profession of jiu-jitsu recognized as a real profession. 
And I think the the main thing with with starting legacy and doing you know and going my own way was to achieve this goal, which is kind of funny. I've actually got a friend and he he's a musician and uh, he had the same problem one time. He was on the phone and and they asked, "What do you do for a profession?" He says, "I'm a rapper." And they yeah. said, "What do you rap like?" And he's like, "I rap like a rap." And they and they were thinking like a rapper, like a Christmas present rapper <laughs> yeah. or something. And he's like, no, 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 I make music, you know. But look, you 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 took the words out of my mouth in the sense. My next question was going to be, how did you come up with the name Legacy? And 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 you know, did you ever consider calling it, you know, the Braga Academy or, or something like that? Um, when it comes down to the loyalty, you speak a, a, about the loyalty, and I, and I see that a lot in the BJJ. Um, is that also to do with the competitive nature or because i guess where i'm going with this is when when you look at like say mixed martial arts you see a lot of um you know especially for training camps a lot of people bring fighters in and 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 so forth and there's a lot of kind of uh mix and and cross where i find that a lot of you know uh BJJ academies, they're very strict on that loyalty side of things. Like, you know, you wouldn't want someone to be training for your academy and then also training, say, in Roots or say, in, in Gracie or whatever. Like, you kind of got to choose which yeah. academy you want to got to stem your loyalties to. Is that is that, you know, is there reasoning behind that? Or is it just a competitive thing or...? It, or, or? There is. There is. I feel that, you know, and, and some places don't do it like that. I feel like Melbourne, Melbourne academies are a little bit different to Sydney. I think the way we, we do in Sydney is a little bit more like some people say old school or, or you know, like I don't know other words to use, but uh, my I believe in, you can say loyalty in that sense, but it, it's like you have a team. And in a competitive sport like ours, having a team is very important. I, I had situations that... I allow, I allow visitors at my gym from any club, any club in the world. And I encourage my students to visit other clubs as well when they're traveling, when they are anywhere. You know, like I actually recommend clubs when they travel in Australia or overseas. I just feel that if you're part of a team, your training or majority of your training is within the team. You know, like... And and there's another situation that arises from this, which is there are quite a lot of people in these days, you know, the, they they become black belts. And if, for example, when you ask me, you know, where, where my jujitsu, where I started, or or what is my, my my lineage, and I say I'm a black belt under Paulo Guimarães, I'm, I was graded under him, I trained under him, I've learned jujitsu under Paulo Guimarães. Uh, a lot of people in these days, because they float here and there. They are self-made. They learn jujitsu by themselves. Nobody taught them, you know. And I feel that uh, if there is one thing that I want from from my students, it's I hope, and a, a few of them are actually getting better than me, and they will be hopefully by far better than me. But if one thing uh, I think a, a, an instructor like a father would want is that recognition of their their work of you know like just look back and know where you came from and and and, and how you got there uh i think it's a very very good lesson as well for people to learn you know that jiu-jitsu is an individual sport but 
at the you, same time it's a team sport it's a team sport you cannot do it on your own you cannot do it on your own you know um and one last thing on this is that I had I had uh, this, this thing about training with your team, and I allow visitors. But if you are from another team and you come to Legacy, for example, to train on on a part time, full time basis, uh, which I had situations like that. I had a student that they used to come from far away, you know, like I'm, um, and his dad was is my friend, and and in, and said, oh man, my, my my son, you know, is going to to Sydney. Can you train at your academy? And he was there every week, sometimes twice a week, and you know, great guy, like great for training but we are a competition team as well and at comps you know like this student will be with his team there on the side that will compete against our team and a few of my students came to me say Thiago you know like all right you know like you let the guy come trains with us but now he's there with all the guys that are going to compete against us and he's been in our team within our train that we're preparing for this tournament so you know it's it's not great, you know, and I felt that I was letting my students down by, by, by playing like that. It's the same as you imagine here in Sydney. If you, you know, if you you play for the mainly Seagulls, but you go train with, uh, with you know, with another team, with another team during the week, would that be ever allowed? How would people feel about if you walk into another team's, you know, training camp? Like, oh, yeah, guys, I come here to train with you this week, you know, I'll come once a week here. People will be like, hell no, get out of here, you know, like <laughs> you're, you're from a different team. We don't have that in Jiu-Jitsu. We can visit, you know. I, I, I go visit. I visit my friends when I'm, you know, in other cities. I have, I visit pretty much every academy that I have a chance to. But um, yeah, that's my that's my view on on the loyalty side of it. Nice. And so with the grading stuff, let's let's get onto that. Like, how does that all work? Um, you know, is there like when when you go through the ranking system, is it mm. skill based? Is it time on the mats based um i guess is there a governing body to how grading happens or is it up to each academy to set their own kind of uh standards uh you know because you sometimes hear about like well i got my black belt from this academy and then some people will get it from that academy does that mean that they're at the same level or you know like how how, how does the grading all work that's the grading jujitsu is a it's a it's an ongoing thing. I think it's been progressing a lot, you know, and um it used to be just yeah, your your instructor gives you a belt whenever he feels like. It still is a little bit like that, but the I've I've grew up my whole life like this. Whenever my instructor felt like giving me a belt, I will get a belt. There was no I never knew when was going to happen, or you know what 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 I was, what what did I need to do more to, to to get my next belt? I just needed to go there and train, and one day maybe it would happen. Without a doubt, but what I'm saying is like, um, say to to move on to the next belt, would I need to, mm-hmm. a, 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 as a professor, would I need to, for instance, spend two hundred hours um, to to be eligible? to get the new belt or would it be that I have to be in the competition team uh, or would it be because sometimes you also see you know at the end of uh, fights the the coach will come into the cage and he'll grant whoever that fighter was with their new belt like is it you know that I completed a certain move in competition and that grants a belt like how how does it all how does it all work? Yeah, so uh, as I was saying you know there is that that side how it was and how it happened to me my whole life and then um, in, in, in 
more recent years, the International Federation has created a standard, you know, like for each belt, a minimum time for each belt. So, you know, I think from white to blue is like a year, year and a half. And then it's on average two years per belt, you know, so you can get from white to black, I think in about six, six and a half years minimum. So this is this, this is a standard. For black belts, the grading is different. I'll get to that, you know, in the end. But um, in, in, in saying that, we, we are still... Um, our criteria criteria prevails on how we want to give belts to our students. So we can decide that, you know, on, on, on daily basis how we do it. I've always done by surprise without telling people much about it. Um, what do we look for or what do I look for? It's not only... Um, level like you said you, ca you gotta be in the competition team and be a really great competitor it depends is that what you are I, I try to analyze each person individually if I have a, a competitor a student that is a high level competitor uh, I will not award him his next belt unless I feel he's ready for it he completed every, everything he could in his current belt because uh, a good way of ruining the career of a competitor is promoting him too early because then he is at the bottom of the next belt and he's got to build it up all again. So usually you promote them when they are at the very top. So when he gets to the next belt, he's already sits there comfortably and he's ready to compete. But there are also other cases. Let's say that guy that trains three times a week, two to three times a week, and he works full time, he's got a family, you know, and he loves jiu-jitsu, he, he uses all his spare time for jiu-jitsu, but he will he's now 48 uh, can I expect, can I can I put him in the same category of the 22-year-old full-time 2G2 competitor? Definitely not. I'll have to have a different criteria. Um, then that's when some gyms adopted, you know, the attendance, the minimum attendance or the, the gradings as, you know, perform some techniques and you get your belt. I'm not 100% in favor of that. I understand where they are coming from. They're trying to create a standard. So, you know, if you perform these five techniques and you attended, you know, 40 classes, you are ready for your next belt or for your next stripe on your belt. Um, I am in these days doing something in between. I don't, I, 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 I created like in my, in the legacy system now we have a minimum attendance to make sure that people are participating in classes, you know, before they get a next belt doesn't mean that completing the minimum time they will get a belt or a stripe, but we want to make sure, you know, that you are attending the minimum. That's purely because of the number of students we have. Sometimes it's difficult to, to, to track exactly how much someone is training. And they might train in different classes with different instructors, so we need to be able to track them. The, um, the grading just by performing a few techniques, I feel, is very limited. Because, you know, like especially with competitors, some guys will be super good at their own game and you know you cannot judge them specifically on, on that um but the reason why i decided to to bring more and more towards you know like um giving the i, I was i was never about giving the student any knowledge on, of when he was going to get graded and 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 what he needed to do um as if you the, the philosophy i i grew up in is like you train to get better, you train to, to, to improve your jiu-jitsu, not for the next belt, not for, you know, the next grading. Um, but in these days, people need some motive. I think we need more motivation than we needed before. I think everything, you know, it's, it's faster. Everything, you know, you need, you need a reward straight away. That's why, you know, like people keep 
the grading is just an example. It's, it's a mirror of real life. I feel people that are trying to, you know, um, know when they're going to get graded and know when the next thing will happen. If they do this, when they're going to get the, the return. And um, the what convinced me to start looking more towards this side was uh, a video I was watching of someone explaining, Professor Fabio Gurgel actually from Alliance explaining, like, how would you feel if you went to university, you went to, to do a law degree, and you you were told, look, we don't know how long it's going to take or if you're going to complete, and you will not know what you need to do to complete. Just go and study every day, and one day you might become a lawyer. That made me think, yeah, actually, it makes sense. I don't think like that about jiu-jitsu, but somewhere in between, I think it's where we should be, where, you know, like... Um, we give them the, the 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 tools to know, like, all right, if I do more of this, I'm moving towards my next belt. I'm moving towards improving. Or if I attend this many classes, I am in the right track. That's I'm doing the minimum necessary. Of course, it doesn't mean if I do the minimum, I will get it. But you know, we, we give people more more guidance, and and I don't think I don't see any problems with that. Yeah, I guess with the 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 education uh, example, like you you do though every so often get like a kid that's too smart for his class maybe not at university level but like say the high school level and 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 you do sometimes hear of kids getting bumped up a class you know mm -hmm. what i mean like they they they're just they're too smart for their own age and they get bumped up and i guess the same thing could be there if you know you you have a newcomer come in and he's just naturally gifted does he progress quicker or does he have to still put the man hours in because then you take the other example which i which i guess is like driving a car you know, when, when I got my license, you, you had to have your learners for, for a year, right? Mm -hmm. You did a test at the end of the year, and if you pass the test, you pass the test. Where in today's world, it's, it's, it's not like that anymore, right? Before you can even do the test, you have to log X amount of hours, which yeah. we never need. Like, I could literally get my learner's license, not drive for a full year, and as long as I pass that test, I pass that test. So mm -hmm. it, it's changed over time. So I see how both kind of work. In, in, in that sense. Um, but going back to our original conversation as well, which yeah. is between the gi and the no gi, does that ranking automatically convert across? And what I mean by that is if, if I'm, say, a blue-purple belt in gi, am I automatically a blue-purple belt in, in no gi? Or is there cases where I can be a purple belt in gi and still a white belt in no gi? No, well, that's that's something that again is a bit um, bit controversial because there's no grading, there's no belts in nogi, you know, um, because of the, the the growth of nogi tournaments, you know, International Federation IBJF, they also have the whole calendar in the nogi tournaments, and the belt follows the same the same criteria. Um, in any of my gyms and gyms that I know, the grading happens in the gi. So you train gi, you get graded, and you will compete at no gi at the grade that you are in. You will compete at no gi at the grade you are in the gi. But at all the, 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 the more professional tournaments, like for example, if you go compete EBI or if you will compete, um, if you compete ADCC, which I, I'll take ADCC as, as the basis, there are no belts. If you are a no gi or a submission grappler, there is no grading. There's, you know, I competed ADCC Australia a few years ago and there were intermediate and advanced. Two years of practice, four years of practice, you know, that's it. Uh, ADCC, there's no, 
there's no there's no grading. So, you know, they had last year, I think in the final semifinal, one of the Rotuolo brothers in the 66 kilos, I think, or yeah, 66. And it's a 17, 16 year old kid, you know, like maybe blue belt, or, sorry, purple belt. I don't even know what belt he is now because he was green belt before, you know, but there was nothing stopping him from 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 being there and competing you know so for my opinion for no gi you will follow the same grading as you have in the gi if you don't train gi well you have no grading you are a submission grappler you know same as a wrestler a wrestler have no grading you know like without a doubt i guess what i'm saying like and i understand with no gi you don't have belts but you have the different colored rashies that represent i guess the belt right so you have the yeah. blue rashi and 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 so just say, you know, I, I've spent two years with the gi, I get graded to whatever it may be, blue belt. Um, but then competition time comes up and I'm like, you know what, I want to do gi and no gi. Um, blue belt. And and I've never actually even trained in no gi yet. Do you understand what I'm saying? Like, So, like, do you think they need to be totally separated? Or, or mm. are you happy then going, look, I know he's got enough uh, skills and qualifications with the gi that I'm happy for him to represent the team in no gi under that same structure yes uh well i, I would first you know in in in, in what you said I, I i would want like one of my students if he's going to compete in no gi and he's a blue belt i would hope that he at least had before he jumps in the competition he practiced a little bit <laughs> you know so he will at least have a feel of no gi because he will be competing in the blue belt division you know and i've uh the part that i say that is still jiu-jitsu is still the same sport uh, it's because it's still jujitsu. You should be able, if you are, if I'm a black belt in gi, I should be able, and I push that with all my instructors, all my black belts. Oh, I don't like no gi very much. That's all right, but it's still jujitsu. You, you, you gotta know, you know, like it's like, um, you know, a, a judo competitor, for example, a judo black belt. If he comes to jujitsu, he might not know jujitsu, but because of the similarity of our two sports, he starts as a blue belt. Because he, he is at a level, he's got the basic knowledge to be a blue belt. So that's how I, I feel between gi and no gi. If you have a belt in the in the gi, that belt should translate to no gi. If you only train no gi, you m- means you are not in the jujitsu system. So you you don't need a belt. You can just you know you, you will you will you will be on a, on a separate case. I guess it's just, um, you know, people always use it to their advantage as well. And, and I say that from, say, some of the other sports. I remember we uh, went to some sort of competition and, and it was meant to be an MMA debut. Uh, Chris Chris fought a guy and, and it was like, yeah, 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 it's his MMA debut. And then later on you find out he's had like, uh, I think it was like 32 or 34 kickboxing fights, right? So, yes, it was his MMA debut, but like he's very qualified in the striking at least, you know, so yeah. it's, it's, it's one of those things. So I always find it like, it's the same thing, you know, like it, would it be right to put a black belt in and put him in as a white, white belt, no gi, cause he's never done no gi, but on the same flip, you, you could go, kind of go the other way and go, well, he's never really done no gi before, you know, but I, 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 I but, but I, I still see, for example, uh, and I'm, I'm very confident that if you get a black belt that doesn't do no gi and you put him in a no gi tournament, uh, you should, he, he, the closer level for him to compete would be the black belt, you know, the, the fairest level for him to compete because it's still like like I take myself for example. I train jiu jitsu. I train no gi 
rarely more than once a week. And I compete black belt nogi. You know, I've always always done it. Um, and I feel that, you know, that's... Um, I, I'm, I'm an example of not on how good I am nogi. I'm not, I'm not thinking exceptional, I'm, but I'm, a, I'm, I'm at a black belt level in the gi. In no gi, I would probably be around. If I get, if I have a black belt coming to my gym, for example, and I look out, he's a decent black belt in the gi. He says, "I don't, I don't train no gi, Chad. I'm sure he will be, you know, at a good level in, in no gi as well. Of course." Uh, and I saw um, a video uh, with Craig Jones a few months ago that he had a very inter interesting theory about that. You know, that the way no gi is being changing and diverting more towards the the heel hooks and things like that like a very different game to to the to the ibjjf gi jiu-jitsu um he said he believes that, you know that soon it will be a completely separate sport you know which in the beginning i agreed i said yeah i thought yeah well these guys are probably going to create a sport that is completely opposite but in these days what i the way i the way i see it you know the separation between the gi and no gi it's um and for you to for the, the way I see the whole heel hook game and and that, that's one thing that was taken out of the jujitsu rules in the game. Only because of the risk and how severe the injuries will be. Same as you cannot do a neck crank, you cannot stack people on the ground. So they took out the heel hook because of course you know when by the time you tap, a lot of the time you you torn your ACL in that surgery six months recovery. If you reco ever recover and go back, so that was taken out. Some guys, I think, very intelligently um, found that gap on the rules and, and, and thought, you know what, let's become a specialist in the one thing that no one else is training all year round, you know, and, and bring that to the tournaments. Um, I think, you know, good on them, you know, like uh, guys uh, from Australia here, Craig Jones, Lachlan Giles, they became master specialists in the who, who came and they proved the world you know, that, you know, jiu-jitsu is about being smart and intelligent, not about just, you know, the the strongest or the, the most powerful man. And that is still working well for a lot of people. But at the same time, if you see the last ADCC, which is I, I take as the, the the highest you can go on a grappling tournament, um, heel hooks were not that, much of a discrepancy we you know with other submissions anymore so it feels like everyone else all the the top players in the gi that usually are the win the, the champions in the, in the no gi they okay it happened two events now let's address that that gap in the rules let, let, let's address that gap in our training and i think things shifted back to normal now you know there were uh, other fighters in the past that adapted that that, that used things you know in in, in tournaments in jiu-jitsu gi or no gi um, that were borderline you know like out of the rules and people adapt people in the gi you had guys that started playing with using the lapel you know like and and adding that to their game years ago the 50 50 guard when you have you know same same legs crossed uh, they wanted to make it illegal because they said oh once you go to 50 50 there's no way out there's no way to fight this position now people have multiple attacks, escapes, and defenses from there. I believe the same is happening with the heel hook, you know, with the with the, with the ankle attacks, that um, it started separating the sport in two categories almost. But you know, uh, I feel that it slowly it will convert back to 
to to the same jujitsu. I think jujitsu still prevails as okay as the same you know as the same martial art. And when it comes to like competition, do you and and this is just a personal thing. Um, do you prefer the traditional points based system? Or do you like uh, competitions like, I guess, submission only or, or, or things like that where, you know, rather than the points, it's 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 for the finish. Like, what what, what do you prefer? I, I've competed in all types of, you know, point system point systems. And I, I think all of them have their, their you know, benefits and disadvantages. Um, I like the point system. I like um, not necessarily only the IBJJF system, but because the, the points were added to jiu-jitsu to make the fight move a little bit more, you know. Uh, if you look, for example, an event they had in jiu-jitsu called Metamoris, that is no longer active, I think. They had a 20-minute fight, so a very long round, 20-minute fi- fight with no points, submission only. In the very beginning, you had guys um, that were there, you know, uh, fighting super hard by the second event what people do they learn the rules they learn the rules of their sport and most guys they were they were what barely engaging you know touching each other maybe trying to find a few submissions as soon as things didn't go if, if they didn't get a submission they pretty much disengage and roll out of it because there's no points there's no reason there's no penalties there's no nothing on the last three four minutes they will actually chase a little bit harder a submission to see if they could win so it was 20 out of 20 minutes you were there watching 15 minutes of nothing and five minutes of all right let's try to finish this you know um, the point system eliminates that that's why a lot of tournaments that went no points they started moving back. Okay, let's put some points. Okay, let's put some advantages. And they are pretty much doing the work that the federations did for the last 20 years, which is, you know, like, we've got to create points to stop people from stalling, stop people from doing illegal things. Uh, in my opinion, and I've competed on the ADCC set of rules, it is the, grappling-wise, is the best set of rules that you can have. It, it, it favors uh, players that would that, that attack from the beginning, so that go for a takedown, you know, so it doesn't favor only jiu-jitsu players that might pull guard. If you are a, a judo player or a wrestler, you know, you have the advantage of starting with a takedown. And if you have a clean takedown, instead of two points, you score five points if you land on side control. Um, it award points then for the ground game, for for progressing to a more dominant position, you know. Uh, it, it's very severe on penalties for lack of combativity. So if you are standing, someone attack you uh, for a takedown and you just defend by pushing or walking away, you get penalized. You got to defend and counter. You got to always look for the fight, you know. If you are in a submission hold and you roll out of the, the fight area, then you let the fight continue, even if you go into the hard floor outside the mat until you free yourself or something happened. So... It's it's a set of rules. I think it's it's the most professional set of rules that you have in grappling. You don't have um, stoppage. You, you cannot really use the rules in your favor to score points for free. And you have to fight. You have to be always fighting forward. If you stop fighting, you know the the rule set pretty much will punish you for the whole time. Uh, but you don't have to just pretend fighting. You know, you don't have to just move around to to keep combativity. In, in jiu-jitsu, and I, I, I feel like that sometimes in a fight, not to get penalties, you, the, the, the more experienced competitors know how to, to, 
to behave or how to to move in order not to get penalized you know same as in in mma is the same you know people people learn the rules um if you think how when they had you know pride back in the day with i think first round was 10 or 15 minutes then it dropped down to five minute round you know and and for for jujitsu players was much better than the longer round because you have more uh, once you take someone down you need time to to wear them out and finish them um with a five minute round in in ufc uh, people train their fitness to a level that a lot of the fighters that maybe don't have the skill to be at the level they are, they are fit and strong enough to move around and pretend they're fighting for five minutes. And that's when we start having the not-so-nice fights in jiu-jitsu, in MMA, in any sport. And now going back to you, third degree, um, and I guess back to the grading, um, yeah. how, how does that work? Because obviously... Everyone always wants to get to the black belt, um, but obviously that it doesn't finish there, right? So, uh, as yourself, you, you're a third degree black black belt. Mm-hmm. How does that grading work? And also, is there an end? Like, is four degree, five degree, like, or does it just keep going? And and say for yourself, um, being third degree, if you wanted to go fourth degree. Do you how how do you go about that? Like, do you have to go back to your original professor, or how how does that all work? Yes, um, well, uh, with the black, like I was saying before, and I would, we moved away of this. Um, the, the 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 gradings for black belts are, are different to the other belts. So the other belts, you know, your instructor will grade you as as he sees it fit. There is guidance from the international federation, so you know the minimum times and all that. But it's still up to the instructor. Once you get to your to the black belt. And that's to, I believe, for the reason of controlling the sport a little bit more and avoiding, you know, people that just want to um, profit from it, putting a black belt around their waist and, oh, I'm a black belt, open a gym. And and we, we had a little bit of uh, bad experiences in the sport with people doing this and not providing the right teaching or the right service and then later finding that, you know, oh, this is a fake black belt that is trying, is a scheme. So we, so the way the federation uh, did, there's a lot more control uh, on this, and the way the grading works is, your first three degrees, it's one every three years. So after nine years uh, as a black belt, I got my third degree. So three years, three years, three years. Now the fourth, fifth, and the sixth will be five years apart. You know, then after that, I think you have the coral belt then seven years you get the second coral belt then i think 10 years later you will get your red belt the red belt um supposed to be the last belt in in jiu-jitsu recently have uh master flavio Baring that was a red belt for i think a period of time maybe 10 years and he just he 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 progressed to like a back to a white belt with a red tag at the end i think you know like the, the, the problem with the time is like people end up living too long and you pass all the belts now but in the black the way i see it is it's not that the black belt is the is the the end i i personally felt that the black belt is the the beginning the moment you get to your black belt yeah you you will get your degrees by time but i i felt at least you know like in the big it, it's it's like a like a kid in school, like, you know, 
um, wanting to get your driver license, like you mentioned, you know, you you want to do all the they, they they have to put barriers before they give you the full license to drive. So they have to put the L's, the P's, the P, the red P, the green P. Okay, now you have full license. Now you start practicing driving. I feel that in jujitsu is the same is the same thing with the with the belt. You know, like we we, we have to hold people back with the blue, purple, brown, black. For little kids, they get like now twelve belts. They have you know the the, the white, the three grays, the three yellows, the three oranges, the, the three uh, greens, and then they get to their blue belt from, from 15. So uh, um, we, we have to stop people, I feel, to, to not to be so eager to get to their black belt. Once we get you get to your black belt, you will still progress, you will still have your, your degrees, but you should by then uh, understand uh, the jiu-jitsu lifestyle enough you know, not to need that that motivation, that pat on the back, like, oh, you know, you're doing good. Here's your next belt. No, I think you should be at a level that, all right, now I want to practice jiu-jitsu because I love jiu-jitsu and because that's my lifestyle and because I want it. I, most of, some of my belts, actually sometimes my other instructors or my students ask me, oh, Chago, you are a third degree black belt. I said, yeah, yeah, I am a third degree. Uh, oh, but you don't have any on your belt. And sometimes I look and say, oh yeah, this belt, I don't really have the, the stripes. You know, I, I, I think with the time, I'm caring less and less about them. I put them on now and I have them on the belts when I'm teaching because I, I feel was going to say it's because you're a shark, right? You don't want to let people know that you're <laughs> third degree. Yeah, but, but the, way I, the way I feel then is being a third degree, you know, like, like I said, a lot of the time actually competing, um, I don't do it anymore, but I used to compete with a belt, like a plain black belt with, with no no stripes, no degrees, because I felt, um, w- w- what is the what is the effect that on, on my competitor? They will look, oh man, he's third degree. So it means he's been a black belt for nine years or more. Man, this guy's old, I'm gonna beat him. <laughs> you know. So I prefer, I, for, a, for a long time, I preferred the, the feeling of, you know, fresh black belt, try to shave, look young, they think, okay, he's more of a threat now, you know, he's, a, he's another young competitor, he's not like the, uh, an older guy trying, to, try, trying to, to play tough here. So I guess uh, we're, we are going to start to wrap it up, but before we do, I just want to ask you one last thing, and that's because you brought it up. Yeah. The BJJ lifestyle, right? Yes. Like, it, it, it's always called a lifestyle. Why, why is it, what, what makes it a lifestyle, and, and, and yeah, I, I, yeah, what, 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 what makes a lifestyle is, I feel is, I compare it to surfing, you know, you have the super radical surfers, you know, they're trying to catch the biggest waves or trying to do the, the crazy, craziest acrobatic tricks and uh, the surfers that just want to ride their wave, you know, and enjoy the sun and, and feel good about what they're doing. I think jujitsu, it's a lifestyle in the same sense. When you go to a jujitsu academy, you will see that one, you will. When I travel somewhere new, I always go first thing to a jiu-jitsu academy because there I will find the people that are probably my tribe, that think like me, that probably you know have a similar similar lifestyle, that do the same things as me, that eat and the same way as I eat, that you know probably don't drink too much because they train every day. So I find that's one part of the lifestyle. And the second thing is, like I was when we were talking about the grading in the in 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 the academies, you will find. The, the competitors, the guys that are trying to do all the spinning tricks and get here and that you get the guys that just want to de- go there and have a role, you know, and feel, feel good and, you know, physically and mentally. 
Um, I feel that uh, jujitsu is a form of meditation as well. You know, um, when you are rolling, when someone is there, you know, like attacking you and trying to catch you, it's very difficult for you to think of all the other problems you have in life or how your day at work was. I think it's really good for you to clear your mind. And it's the most real thing that you can have comparing to, to, to your real life. You know what I mean? It's, it's, it's a simulator of real life. You know, being there in a different... A lot of people think of jiu-jitsu, oh, it's, it, it's, it teaches you a self-defense. It teaches you know, how to protect yourself in a dangerous situation. I think it teaches far more than that. I think you know, it changed lives in a way that it teaches how to make decisions under pressure fast. That's what you're doing when you're training jujitsu. That's what you're practicing there without knowing. So, I feel you know for for your life, for our life, it's there's no better skill to have in whatever profession, in whatever situation you are in a relationship. You gotta know how to make decisions under pressure. You know, sometimes fast. You know, and I, I feel that that's why I consider more of a lifestyle than just a sport. And I guess it also teaches you how to deal with the ups. And also the downs, right? Because, you know, on the mats, sometimes you're doing really well and sometimes exactly you, you, you don't do so well. Okay, fi- final thing before we go. Looking back on your legacy, yeah. what are some of your highlights? And it's whether it's your personal, um, you know, competition-based highlights or whether it's uh, highlights as the professor of, of legacy, like, you know... Um, just having a look back at what you've achieved thus far, what are some of your your highlights? Um, if you ask me this question maybe a few years ago, I would straight away think of my highest achievement achievements as a competitor. You know, like in Australia, I've won several times the nationals from Pacific. I competed for Australia in Abu Dhabi four five times. Um, I've competed at the Worlds. I've competed at Pan American Championships. You know, like European. I've competed. Asian, uh, I was second place in the open weight in the in the Asia Championship. Um, I would I would I would see that as my my highlight. In these days, I think my answer is a little bit uh, different. I'm still very proud of of those achievements, but I realized that every time I won any of these big tournaments, I have a couple of of uh, bags that I have under my bed with the medals. I realized that I know I was very happy winning those medals, but I would put them in the bag, throw under the bed, and I don't have them hanging anywhere. So I felt like, well, that's not really why, why I do this for. In these days, I feel that the changing lives aspect, uh, it's much more of a highlight in my life. Like when I see legacy now, how many, how many f- whole families are training there, how many people change their life for the better f- through jujitsu. I think for me, this is... It's you know it's it's the the biggest achievement I could have as a as a jujitsu competitor fighter as a professional as a business owner, you know. So I think that's why I focus a lot more in these days in the in the I would say the business side, but it's not really the business side. It's in in, in the growing side of jujitsu, uh, then only my my competition and you know like my my personal achievement as an athlete. Nice. Well, um, I'm going to finish it there. Uh, I'm sure we'll get you back at some point in time because there were a few more things that I wanted to talk about. But um, listen, for for people that want to reach out to you, um, maybe give BJJ a go, uh, find out where the academies are nationally, uh, What what's kind of the um, best way of getting in touch with you. And I also know that you do have a uh, try before you buy. Um, you know, I, I, I saw on your website that you do offer a free session 
for people to come uh, apart from open mats but like yeah for someone like wanting to kind of get involved or, or or see if it's something for them what what's the best way to kind of reach out to you guys the best way is legacybjj.com.au you can contact us there you can go through our instagram or facebook pages for each academy we will reply straight away and yes we do offer free trials we do offer you know two-week trials and if you would like to come to any of the legacy even if you're walk past or drive past one you would like to walk in and and, and ask about training or, or get a bit of information you're always welcome to come and reach out well on that note i have to say i thank you so much um it's always you know fun chatting to some people and and especially when you make the time to come on in um and I think it's about time maybe I dust off the gi and, 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 and jump on the mats again. Um, but until then, we're going to leave it at that and we'll see you next time. I'm away. I'm away. Why?